to the book of Exodus, chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, and you may remember uh, last week we did a lot of 34 and we moved into 35, but we skipped over a few verses here that we're going to look at today. That's verses 29 through 35, and the sermon title is Degrees of Glory. I think we'll see that in the revealed to us as we look at the word today. So Exodus 34, and we'll read verses 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses taught with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with him. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to understand it now, that you would open it up to us. Lord, that we, like Moses, would see your face today. That you would show us yourself. And Lord, we pray that we would not leave here this Sunday unchanged. Lord, we think of Moses who could not see you without being changed. May that be true of us as well today. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at this passage, we see how Moses is transformed by seeing God. And I thought, have you ever met someone that maybe you immediately knew was a Christian before you ever even talked to them? Just by looking at them, you could tell there was something different about them. Now, we don't get the same visible glow, but somehow you could perceive that this is a person who, who knows God, who communes with God. Well, Moses, he meets with God. We've seen what happened in terms of God revealing to him his glory, God speaking his name to him, and now he's in, uh, God also reestablishing the covenant. And now Moses has returned back down the mountain, and when he comes back, he's completely unaware, but the people see his face glowing. And so, as we look at the degrees of glory, the first thing I want us to see is the reflected glory that Moses possesses. Reflected glory that Moses possessed. So as far as we know, this is the first time that Moses' face glowed. I imagine had it happened before, this would have been recorded. This is significant and unusual. And so the first time his face is glowed. And what was the difference? Well, the difference, I think, is that he asked to see the glory of God. Something unique had happened in 
God revealing himself to Moses that had not happened before. Moses saw more of the glory of God. And remember, Moses didn't see all the glory of God. God had to cover him that he could not look upon God's full glory lest he die, or he would have died. And so God covered him but revealed some of his glory. And we saw that a lot of that revelation was related to God's name, his character, his saving work. And so God has revealed himself to Moses because Moses is asked to see God's glory. And having seen that now, Moses is reflecting it. You, you might think of a full moon. You know, kids, I imagine all of you probably know this by now. Maybe you know this, but the moon doesn't have its own light. When we see the moon, it's reflecting the light of the sun. And it's still bright enough to shed light upon light upon our world. There's been nights that I woke up because the light of the moon was shining in the window so bright, it tricked my mind into thinking it's daytime. Time to get up. You can walk outside and you can see all around what's going on, but yet it's not the sun. It's not as bright. There's something different, but it's a reflection of, we might say, the glory of the sun. Or, again, kids, you might think of if you have things that glow in the dark. You know how sometimes you can put it near a light and it kind of charges, and then you take it out and it glows for a while, and it slowly gets dark, and maybe it doesn't glow the next night, and you have to recharge it again. Moses has been in the presence of God. He's seen God's glory, and the glory of God has changed Moses. He's reflecting God's glory. He cannot help but bring that glory back. He can't help but glow like we talked about, maybe that glow-in-the-dark toy you may have. Unlike the glow-in-the-dark toy, and unlike, I think, the moon... When the people, the Israelites, they see the glory of God reflected in the face of Moses, the response is one of fear. Look at verses 29 and 30. When Moses came down from the mountain, from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Think about this in light of what Moses has experienced. He asked to see God's glory, and God had to shield him from seeing all of it because Moses would have died. So he hid him in the cleft of the rock. He put his hand over, blocked his view. And now Moses comes down having seen that glimpse of God's glory. Having communed with God for 40 days on the mountain, he comes down, and what the people see reflected in his face is enough that they're scared that they will die. That is closer to the presence of God than they've ever been, even with the Shekinah glory guiding them. It was up there, but now Moses is right here, and we see him, and it's scary. And so they shrink back in fear from Moses, even from the mere reflection of the glory of God in the face of Moses. We also see verses 34 through 35 that this was a repeated event. It wasn't a one-time occurrence. 
Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So this wasn't just a one-time occurrence. It was like that glow-in-the-dark thing we talked about earlier. It gets this initial glory from God, and then it's a repeated event every time he communes with God. Every time he goes into the presence of God and speaks to God, he comes out shining again. Now, again, I've already said that our faces don't shine, but we could think about this already in terms of application and how desperately we need to meet with God each day. That we can understand that, likewise, that reflected glory that we have of God fades. And as we commune with God, that's what's recharging those batteries or the glow, the shining, the light that we have in us. So he would go in, his face would be recharged. He'd remove the veil so he could look upon God as much as he could in this life. He would go out without the veil. He would speak to the people. And as soon as he was finished, he'd put the veil back on. And so when he spoke to God... He spoke with unveiled face. When he spoke God's message, he spoke to the people with an unveiled face. Look at verse 33. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And so it's not until he finishes speaking that he covers his face again. Now, why is that? Well, I think part of that is that there is this way in which the glowing of Moses' face validates Moses' ministry and work. This is something supernatural, and it's scary to them. And it happens every time he goes into that tent to speak to God. Now, as he comes out, would you believe Moses' message? Would you believe that he'd actually seen God, that he communed with God, that this man's close to God? And so it's a validation of his ministry, which may have been important because the people had already rejected Moses' authority on more than one occasion. But for example, just back in... Exodus 32, 1, the instance with the golden calf, do you remember how it began? When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And so already he's up there communing with God and they're ready to move on without Moses, to mate the idol. You're probably aware of the history of the wilderness wandering that this will be a reoccurring theme for the people. Questioning Moses' authority, challenging him. And in some way, this is affirmation of the authority of Moses in his meditorial work, meditorial work. He's stepping in, he's mediating for God's people, and God is glorifying him in that work. As he intercedes for the people, there's this glory that spread to Moses from the presence of God. And so first off, we have the reflected glory that Moses had. Secondly, I want you to see more glory, more glory than the reflected glory. Now, where do we see more glory than just what we have here with Moses and the reflection? Well, primarily, I think we see this in the person of Jesus and in the glory of the gospel. The glory of Christ, the glory of the gospel, there's greater glory there than even in what Moses, is, Moses had. 
Now, I want to take some time to go to a passage. And so, as we go there, I'm going to have that up on the screen. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 13. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like to. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. I think it's going to help us to understand our passage here in the book of Exodus. So, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 13. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at, at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has, had, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with uh, glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. And so Paul here is making a direct reference to our passage today about Moses' face shining. And he's making a comparison that helps us understand what was going on there. And there's a few things you should note in this. One is that the ministry of the Spirit... And think about what does he mean with that? After Christ ascended, he sent his spirit into our hearts. And so this age we're living in, the church age, with the spirit indwelling believers, this ministry of the spirit has more glory than what he says is the ministry of death. Now let that sink in. What we're looking at and all the glory that's there, Paul calls a ministry of death. Now, we've seen that, but let me just remind you back even when we were looking at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were given as a way to uh, a binding of the covenant that God's people should obey these things. But it was also given to reveal, to show our sinfulness, that none of us could measure up to this. And as we understand that the wages of sin is death, what does the law do for us? Well, one of the main things it does is tell us that we deserve death, that we've earned death, that we've broken God's law. And so that ministry that had all this glory was really a ministry that brought about death and our need for a Savior to help us to see that need. And then in verse 9, he says, a ministry of righteousness has more glory than a ministry of condemnation. And so again, we see what's happening there. What did the Ten Commandments do? There's not one person who's been justified by obedience to the commandments. The commandments brought condemnation because none of us lived up to it. None of us were able to perfectly obey the law. But what does the ministry of the Spirit or the ministry of the gospel, what does it do? Well, it brings righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the God-man kept that law. And we get his righteousness. And so, which sounds more glorious to you? 
The realization, the pointing out of our condemnation? Or is it more glorious to know that you've been made righteous in the person and work of Jesus Christ? He also points out that the comparison, he says, that this ministry of the gospel has surpassing glory and that now the ministry of death, of condemnation, has no glory whatsoever. That's verse 10. That glory's gone. It has no glory anymore. Again, why? Because that law, that covenant, was meant to point us to Christ, to the new covenant. And now that it's come, that glory is so bright that it overpowers. The old covenant's done away with. It has no more glory. And he also compares that this ministry of the Spirit, the glory of the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ, is permanent, verse 11. And that the law was temporary. And now it's even, it's come to an end. It's actually very interesting if you look at the passage that Paul, I think, exposits what's going on in our passage in a way that I couldn't do. Maybe he's guided by the Spirit to understand this in greater depth, but notice what he says. Verse 13, Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Now, the outcome... They might not gaze at the outcome, may be referring specifically to Moses seeing the glory of God, and that was being brought to an end, that commandment, and even that. But there's also this understanding, I think, in in Paul and his writing, and we'll see that further on as we uh, look later in the passage, but for now, there's also this understanding, Moses, uh, sorry, Paul is saying that Moses veiled his face so that they would not see the fading glory. There was something about, remember we talked about kids that Moses would go back to God, he'd get recharged, he'd shine bright, and then it would fade. And he'd go back again, he'd, he'd, he'd get recharged. There was something about what was happening with Moses' face that was meant to be prophetic, if I understand Paul correctly. That glory of the law was temporary, it didn't last, it faded. And it's not just that the people were afraid of the glory that was revealed in the face of Moses, to some extent, either through their fear or through uh, God's leadership of Moses, Moses understands that if they see the fading glory, they're going to understand the nature of this covenant. It's not lasting. And so perhaps there's even a veiling because it's temporary, because it's fading. Maybe it's just my tendency, but I tend to think to guard the people against the depression the sadness of seeing the glory fade and vanish. But that was the old covenant. That's the nature of the covenant. It was meant to fade as the glory of the new covenant comes in stronger. He also says in this that, therefore we are very bold. So greater glory in this ministry, far greater, surpassing glory, permanent glory, and therefore we are bold. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, and let me go back, verse 11, what is that hope? For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
What does he mean here by we are very bold? You would think that more glory would mean more timidity, more fear, more shrinking back, maybe thicker veil, a better covering so we don't have to see that glory that might consume us. But he says, because we've been shown more glory, we're very bold. And that boldness is specifically, I think, entering into the presence of God like Moses did, communing with God by, in the Spirit. Because of the intercession of Jesus Christ, we can go to God. Christ alone is our mediator. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he sits there mediating for us even now. And so we have boldness because of this gospel. The glory of it means we can enter in. It's not just one man. It's not just the mediator. We get to enter into the presence of God. Now, we stopped earlier in this passage, but I want to look a little further on in the passage. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 18. So continuing the passage on, I want you to see how Paul describes the removal of the veil. The removal of the veil. Speaking of the Israelites, he says, But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, really, there's the exposition of our passage. Paul's telling us this is what it's all about. The veil, though physical and real, was also symbolic of the fact that the Israelites could not look upon the glory of God. They were veiled from understanding the meaning of the covenant, ultimately the truth of the gospel. They couldn't see it. They're blinded. And Paul's saying even to this day, his day, in a large part, the Israelites rejected the Messiah. And so the veil remains over them whenever the book of Moses is read. They don't see Christ and the glory of the gospel in the reading of Moses. Or if we were to look at another way to say, Paul's saying we should see that glory in the work of Moses. We should see Christ in that. But how are we going to do that? Well, it's only through Christ that the veil is removed, that it's taken away. And so, because of Christ, we can enter into the presence of God and see God's glory with unveiled faces. And that's what he says. Verse 18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. That's how he describes the Christian today. The veil has been removed. We get the gospel. We understand the gospel. We have trust in Jesus Christ to save us, not in the law. We've gone to that which is even more glorious and imputed righteousness instead of condemnation and death and so because of that the veil's been removed for us and we see we behold the glory of God 
in the gospel, in the person of Christ. And what happens when we do? I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe I need to wait on what happens when we do. I'll come back to what happens when we do. But let me just point out that the title, I said degrees of glory, it's really coming from this, from one degree of glory to another. So we think about degrees of glory. Was there glory at Mount Sinai? So much glory that the people touched the mountain, they would die. They had to go far away. Moses came down and the reflected glory was enough that they feared for their lives. That's one degree of glory. And our passage says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so much more glorious that that glory is gone. Think about sometimes you can, the sun comes out and the moon's still out. And you might see a little bit of it, but that light it no longer matters because the sun outshines it. Christ has outshone that reflected glory, so much so that this degree of glory is even greater. It's done away with. So only through Christ is the veil removed. And so if we want the veil removed, what do we need? We need Christ. We need to trust in him as our Savior. Or you might say it this way, faith in Christ is necessary to behold the glory of God. Maybe we could even say what Paul's speaking of here in terms of the veil is unbelief. A lack of faith is that veil that blinds us from the truth of the gospel. The law in itself could not save. It was glorious. God speaking to Moses, giving his word to them, it was glorious, but that glory was fading. And the gospel and its glory will never fade, it's permanent. We, through Christ, have direct access to the Father. We have boldness to go before God. Only through Christ is that veil removed. As we think about that more glory, and, and remember, more glory here, we're speaking specifically of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the person of Christ. We see something very similar to what Moses saw in Jesus' ministry in the Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And then further down, verse 5, it says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, you notice a connection between what happens with Jesus and what happened with Moses? Remember one of the things I said, Moses, his face shone so that what? The people would listen to him. They would obey. They wouldn't break the covenant right away. They would know that this is God's word and they would heed the message of the mediator. And so now Jesus on the mountain with only three disciples, the appearance of Elijah and Moses there on the mountain and Jesus shines with glory. And a voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son, an affirmation of his person, his work. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so the affirmation of the meditorial work of Christ is there in the transfiguration, his glory and his glowing. We see more revealed to us in God's word about the glory of Jesus. John 1.14 
and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You may remember we looked at this on Christmas Day. The word became flesh and really tabernacled among us. And his face, I'm sorry, among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is coming, he's tabernacled among us. And what have we seen? We've seen his glory. Well, we know the tabernacle is already a reference back to Moses' day. I think the glory is too. He's saying we didn't just see a reflected glory in the face of one mediator. We saw the God-man, the Son of God, the true mediator. We saw him. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And this glory was not a glory of condemnation. It was a glory that was full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1.3 speaks of Jesus. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The radiance of the glory of God. Radiance is that shining, that sparkle that comes off of it. The shining of the gospel is in the person, uh, sorry, the shining of this glory of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And then in Revelation, chapter 1, the Apostle John, he has this vision of what's going on in the spiritual realm in heaven. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From, the, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. So listen to how Jesus is described there. He has this vision. John has this vision of heaven. And he sees the glory there. And already we, the glory of Jesus there. And already we see some of this. His clothes are white. There's a golden sash. Um, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like polished, burnished bronze. They shone. Refined in a furnace. But then we see that his face was like the sun shining in full strength. A greater light than the light that Moses had that reflected light. This glory is Christ's glory. It belongs to him. And so he shines forth in a way that... Notice the response of John. How does he respond? He falls down as though dead. Why? Because even in a vision, he understands that that much glory should kill him. It, it floors him. In a lot of ways, he's like the Israelites who feared because he's seen the glory of God. And again, that only in a vision. All right, so we've seen Moses' reflected glory. We've looked at more glory. Thirdly, I'd like for us to see transforming glory. And what I want you to understand here is that when we see God's glory, we become like him. Now, 
we can say this to Moses, right? What glory did Moses have? Moses didn't inherently possess glory. He has the glory that he's received by looking upon God. He's changed to become like God to reflect his glory. And so I said earlier in my prayer, no one can see God and remain unchanged. If we rightly behold the glory of God, it transforms us. Now, a little bit more obvious in the life of Moses because his face was shining. I, I know sometimes, maybe as elders even, we do membership interviews. It would always be great to know like, if Christians, the face was shining. It would make things a lot simpler, wouldn't it? And maybe in response or relative to our communion with God. But that's not how it works. But even though we're not physically shining, we have to understand that beholding God in his glory changes us. We don't leave the presence of God unchanged. We share that reflected glory of God. Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. They're radiant. Again, not with physical light, but there's something different. Communion with God changes us. Maybe another way of saying this is beholding the glory of God sanctifies us. I mean, that's really what I said before in the sense that if it changes us that we become like God, what is sanctification? We're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're being transformed to look like Jesus spiritually. And so glory sanctifies us. Back in 2 Corinthians, the passage, I said, we're going to wait on that one. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul's maybe brief summary here of the Christian life is that the Christian, the veil has been removed so that they look upon the glory of God, and the course of their life is what? They're being changed into that same glory one degree at a time, sanctification. They're growing to be more like Christ. Are we going to reach that in this life? Are we going to be fully like Christ? No. None of us will reach perfection. But when we enter into the presence of God, we are glorified. One day we will shine with that same glory as much as we can. We've also, we can also say that God has shown his light in our hearts so that when we look upon God in his glory we look upon it in the face of Jesus Christ again 2 Corinthians this is further on chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, quickly, two observations. One is, we ought not be surprised that the world around us doesn't see the glory. Why? Because it tells us, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds 
of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world is Satan. Demonic power has so blinded the world that when they look even at Jesus, looking at the scripture, when they hear the word, the gospel proclaimed to them, apart from God's spirit working in their heart to remove the veil, they cannot see the glory of Christ. It's a spiritual work that has to happen in our hearts. Notice also that he says, in the words of the creation, he who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, this is what salvation is. In the creation, there was darkness, and God said, let there be light, and there's been light ever since. In salvation, before salvation, let's say, we're dark and we're blinded to the truth of the glory of God in the gospel. Salvation is God revealing to us his glory, shining his light in our hearts so that we see we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that we look upon Christ and we see God's glory shining there. And that all is a work of God shining in our hearts. Faith. And then as I think of transforming grace, and remember I said degrees of grace. And so maybe you're thinking about this and you say, Moses had glory, Jesus had more glory, and then us? I mean, I don't seem to be progressing, do I? But what I want you to see is that one day we will shine with his glory. Or if I want to make it a clear progression, there will come a day when we will see even greater glory than what we have now in the face of Jesus Christ in the gospel. How is that? One day we will be in the presence of God and we will be transformed. Listen to God's word here, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's something about Christ's return. We're going to see Christ in his glory. It's going to transform us that we would be like him. Kind of like Moses, but in an even greater degree. The Puritan Thomas Watson, he says this. Our seeing God will be transforming. We shall so see him as to be in some measure assimilated and changed into his image. 1 John 3, 2, the passage I just read. We shall be like him. If, when Moses was with God on the mount and had but some imperfect sight of his glory, Moses' face shined, how shall the saints glorified shine? Being always in God's presence, and having some beams of his glory put upon them, we shall be like him. One that is deformed may look on beauty and not be made beautiful. But the saints shall so see God as that sight shall transform them into his likeness. And so what's happening now in the gospel is a foretaste of what one day will happen when Christ returns, when we enter into his presence in the new earth, in the new heavens, we will always be in the presence of God. And if that short period that Moses had, even going back into the tent for a brief time and seeing God, beholding God, 
and his glory was enough to make him shine how much more so will that be true of us will the gospel or excuse me will the presence of God in all his glory transform us when we're glorified no more sin in us we don't have to be afraid or shrink back a greater boldness even that which we've been given now to be in God's presence so as we think about this just a few last thoughts of application one that I thought was really interesting is that Moses was unaware that his face was shining. He was unaware of himself and his own, I think we could say, holiness. Verse 29, when Moses came down from the Mount, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Uh, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. what would that be like your face is shining well one thing we have way more mirrors and look at ourselves. Moses probably wasn't doing selfies up on the mountain with God but what I, I really think is important here is that Moses I think it's just forgotten about himself it's not about him and I jokingly talked about mirrors and selfies but we live in a culture that's a lot about us focus on me Moses seems to have forgotten himself and he's been gazing upon the glory of God and that has so consumed him that he's not worried about I'll start to say his hairdo maybe combing his beard that morning it doesn't matter he's seen the glory of God and it's changed him I thought also as we think about this, what does that phrase, the glory of God, mean to you? What does the glory of God mean to you? How do you understand that? Maybe even how have you experienced it? Do any of you ever pray, show me your glory, the way Moses did? Now again, I'm not arguing that our face will visibly shine, but if we're not praying to see the glory of God, we ought not be surprised that Moses is transformed and maybe we're not. We should pray, God, show me your glory. And I would say that needs to be partnered with communion with God. We need to be in his word. We need to be in prayer, praying, God, show me your glory in the word today. God, show me your glory in the preaching of the word today. But daily as well as you read God's word. You know, at the beginning of the sermon, I asked, have you ever been in the presence of someone? You, you just knew they were a Christian before you ever even spoke to them. And, and I thought about this, the idea of reflected glory, that as Christians, we're reflecting the glory of God. We're being transformed by one degree of glory to another into his image. And if that's true, that means that some of you, you may have a friend or family member somewhere that you are the only display of the glory of God they're ever going to see. You are reflecting God's glory in a way that's meant to point them to the source of that light. Is that true of you? If you think about that as being that only source, how are you reflecting God's glory to them today? I also want you to understand this is what we were made for. Right? We were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so 
how do we glorify God? We reflect God's glory. And so we were made to reflect the glory of God. How do we do this today? Well, how did Moses do it? He looked upon God. He was in the presence of God. He met with God. So if we want to be transformed from one degree of glory to another, we need to set our eyes upon Jesus. Focus upon him and the truth of his word. Commune with him as we spoke of in the word. And as we do so, we can know that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Or maybe I could say this another way and say, it's not just our transformation. We glorify God by looking at him. Think of Moses. His focus was upon God. And so as we focus upon God in this life, that's glorifying to him. We are treasuring that which is most valuable. So I want to encourage you as we conclude the message. Christian, you've been transformed already. The light of the gospel is shown in your heart so that you could see the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. That is a work of God that you never could have done on your own. Dependence of the law was a ministry of death and condemnation. But in Christ, you've seen that light. Now seek more of it. Commune with your Savior. Look upon his face. Pray to God, show me your glory. And then take that glory, reflect that glory to the world around you. And then unbeliever, those of you here today who have never trusted in Christ, the reality is, I know that the words I've said, the preaching of the gospel today, the natural state that you're in, there's a veil there that you haven't seen the glory of God even in this message. Pray now that God would remove the veil, that you would see the glory of God, that one day you would behold God fully in his presence, transformed into the image of our Savior. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ, the glory of the gospel. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust upon it, depend upon it, that we would set our eyes, our gaze upon Christ in his glory. Lord, we pray that you would help us to forget ourselves in the process. Lord, that we would be so in love with Christ, so enamored in his presence. And Lord, as we look at our own hearts and we think of being transformed from one degree of glory to another, it often seems that we're at a very low degree. Lord, may we attend those means of grace we spoke of, the preaching of your word, the ordinances, Lord, our daily communion with you in the word and in prayer, that, Lord, you would continue to transform us as we look upon Christ, that you would transform us into his image. In his name we pray these things. Amen.